Hello, I'm Alison Creel, founder of Above and Beyond Education, an online portal where every educator is celebrated for the amazing work that they do each and every day. It's a space where you can share what's going really well, celebrate, collaborate and support and so much more. Flying High is the official podcast for Above and Beyond Education, and each week we'll hear from one of our members who share the highlights of what's going well for them in their work in education. Guest this week is Aretha Banton, aka Ria, Vice Principal, Keynote Speaker, Trustee, and Co-Founder of Mindful Equity. She has a passion for inclusion, equity, and diversity, send and safeguarding. And on her LinkedIn profile, she states that she is determined to level the playing field, which just made me smile because it's blooming brilliant. So hello, Ria. Welcome to the Flying High podcast. Hi. Hi, Alison. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Oh, it's a real pleasure. Please introduce yourself and tell us more about your education journey, because I know it's amazing. Thank you. Um, Yeah, gosh, my education journey is a little bit of a weaving pathway into senior leadership, actually. (laughs) Um, So I didn't do the traditional route. I actually started off as a teaching assistant in a secondary school whilst I was studying my psychology degree because I wanted to go into CAMS. I wanted to be a psychotherapist. Um, And by then I'd already had my first child. So I was kind of doing part time study and juggling all of that. and then um, I kind of just stayed. <laughs> odd. I, I worked with, in the behaviour unit with all of these students with all these challenging behaviours. And one thing that I really, really felt was going into a situation like CAMS, I would see them once a fortnight if I was lucky. Mm-hmm. But in schools, I see them every single day. I can make a massive impact on their life journeys and I get to know their families. And, and so that's really why I stayed in situ. Um, and then I went off and did a few other bits and pieces. I worked for Terence Higgins Trust for a while. Um, I did mentoring. I worked up in East London. And then I came back into education at local authority level and did some consultancy. Um, and then the, my first senior leadership post was in the same school I was a TA in. Oh, wow. So I went back to that school <laughs> and actually ended up working with the same demographic and some people that I already knew from years before where I'd been a teaching assistant. So it was quite a nice, almost like a homecoming um, journey into senior leadership but I did all of that um, I got my first SLT post without having QTS so I was non-teaching but I did a little bit of teaching um, but I was mainly around behaviour and inclusion um, mm-hmm. and then I got my PGCE a lot later on so I, it's it's a very weaving journey it's definitely not a straightforward journey into um, senior leadership so that's I think that's story. amazing and they, they, there will be people who'll be absolutely amazed that you got an SLT position before you got your QTS. And would you yeah. recommend that as a route? Oh, gosh, would I recommend it? Probably not, because the battles you have to fight <laughs> is quite <laughs> tough. And the times that you have to explain it over and over again, your route during interviews is always quite a, a lengthy process from say, oh I don't understand your career journey um, but the reason I did that was the school that I went into was in about to go into special measures for behaviour and inclusion mm-hmm. um, and this amazing principal and head teacher um, Des Malone I'll give him a shout out it's amazing he put his faith in me and just said you know you can do this job at senior leadership level we need someone to turn inclusion around and fortunately I did um, and it was, it was fun. Yeah, really nice community spill at the school. So it was really, really good time. 
That's, uh, you say what everybody says. It's finding that one person who believes in you, which enables you absolutely. to take the big step. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was quite odd because <laughs> on that interview panel was my current, my then boss's husband. So <laughs> it, was, it was very, very awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you said there was nothing conventional, so. <laughs> no, no, nothing's ever easy. <laughs> But that's and, the beauty of it, isn't it? Yeah. And in terms of sort of behaviour management, a lot of people find behaviour management really difficult, especially when, um, especially sort of more urban settings and the challenges that children bring and all that kind of stuff. If you could give one bit of wisdom to anyone who feels like they're having a difficult time managing challenging behaviour, what would it be? Um, I think the key to managing challenging behaviour is to see the behaviour, not the individual. So you yeah. separate the tip rather or see the individual, not the behaviour. Um, and with that is forming those relationships with that child outside of when they're doing something wrong. So your only interaction can't be around the wrongdoing. It has to be about something positive. It has to be something about that hook that gets them involved, what their interests, what their passions. Um, and one of the I think that's where I've had the most success is when I've gone down that route and been that person that although I might be given a sanction, I'm actually balancing it out with a lot of positivity as well. Um, mm -hmm. there, for example, you know, I've worked in a school where nobody knew that this child was, you know, absolutely fixated on horses. He would go out after school, look after, go to the stables, mm. look after his horses. In school, he was an absolute terror some days, mm. but actually, Having that conversation with him and finding out about his passion made a huge difference. Um, and so building that relationship and that hook and getting them to teach you about their interests, putting them in that role of, you know, sharing expertise is really important for building their confidence and the resilience. A lot of students who act out don't have the confidence or the tools to express themselves in a way that you or I might find acceptable. And so it's incumbent on us to teach them that. And we should teach them that in a way that we would teach them maths, English, or science. It's about metacognition and it's about self-regulation. And we have to co-regulate in order for them to get to that point of self-regulation so that they can actually express themselves in a more appropriate manner. But that's it has just, to be taught. Do you know what? People will think that I got you and Mark Martin to talk because he's the last <laughs> person I interviewed. And he also talked about the importance of relationships and communication because um, one of, I use these quotes quite a lot in my presentation where he says that pupils will buy into their teacher before they buy into their learning. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and it's so important. I mean, you could be the only person in that establishment in their lives, even that that person can rely on and can have that conversation with without that judgment element. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone, you know, needs someone where they can bounce ideas off or sound off without fear of you know huge retributions and there might be a sanction at the end of it but to just give them that time and that space it's the time that mm. you um allow some and the, it's the time that you put in to that relationship that matters um and it's been that consistent person yeah i love that thank you thank you very much um and of course you and yulandi set up mindful equity was it two, three years ago two years ago 
Whenever lockdown was. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I can remember meeting you in Stratford and you just set yeah. it up. And that was a really interesting time. And of course, it's gone on to be incredibly wonderful. Do you want to um, tell everybody a little bit about what mindful equity is and why maybe they'd want to be involved? Yeah. So mindful equity, we set up um, just as lockdown hit the very first lockdown. Um, and we we kind of had time and space to really think about our career journeys and what we wanted to do next. And Yolandi and I had worked on a senior leadership team together for about a year and she was going off to pastures new. And so we kind of sat down and had a, a proper conversation, not the corridor conversations that you have about things in school, but a proper conversation about both of us. And we found that we our values aligned really closely. And even though we're from really different backgrounds, our career journeys haven't been as straightforward as some other people mm -hmm. and some of the barriers that we faced had been very similar despite our different qualifications and aptitudes and everything else so we then started to think well you know if that's our story um, and we were very fortunate to be black female um, senior leaders on the same senior leadership team we felt that actually this might be true for other people mm -hmm. um, and so we set up mindful equity uk so that other people had a voice number one Mm -hmm. um number two we wanted to make sure that that retention rate of black and asian women in education starts to improve um, mm -hmm. we know that lots of people might want to join the profession but whether or not they stay in the profession is something completely different it's a completely different question and and what we need to ask is how can we ensure that they're comfortable enough and they make progress and develop in order to, to stay in the profession and be really successful so we started reaching out to universities because we we're really interested in early careers teachers because we felt if we get in early and we yeah. build that that momentum um whilst teachers are training and giving them the confidence and the tools to kind of really be pushy a little bit actually um and say you know this is where i want to go um and have those conversations early on with their mentors we thought that would be the best route and then we've kind of evolved to working at different levels of middle leaders and senior leaders around actually one if they're black and asian women how they can navigate that landscape um often there were you know, certain similarities that you and I might have faced. <laughs> we are yep. able to impart our knowledge um, and support others. But also, if you are really looking at building a diverse leadership team or diverse staffing team or diverse organisation, how that how uh, people can become more involved in allyship um, and also support Black and Asian women, even though they might be from a different background. It's how they can tailor their organisation slightly better to meet a wider range of needs. Excellent. Well, do you know what? I am enormously proud of you and Yolandi for, I mean, you told the, when we spoke, it was the beginning and it's literally just gone from strength to strength. So thank you for doing what you're doing for women in, Black women in education. No, thank just you. Amazing. I mean, you were, you were one of the first people that we, we connected with. Um, and, you know, when, when I got your follow, I was like, ah! you know it was quite a lonely journey to being a senior leader for me because actually a lot of the times you're in direct competition with other people and so whilst you might um know other people that actually the networks that you build aren't often the right networks or as strong as they ought to be. And mm -hmm. so I've really learned the power of networking in the last couple of years, actually, 
Um, and it is, it is hugely powerful to know where to look, to know who to talk to, to know which you know, organization to join and which event to go to is so, so powerful. And sometimes, you know, as black and Asian women, we don't have access to those networks. We're not privy to some of that information. And I think hmm. the more we can share all of that, the better. Um, it does really make a difference to career progression. That's just totally brilliant. So I've, been, I'm, I've, I've actually got two questions, but I want to ask you whether or not there's anything that's going especially well at the moment that you'd like everybody to know about and to celebrate for you and with you. Um, I think my equity is going really well. I mean, we, we did our first, and it sounds so odd to say this, but we did our first in-person <laughs> event and it was it's so strange and it was so nerve-wracking actually to mm. step out behind the computer having done it through lockdown you kind of you know you can sit in your pajamas and you can, <laughs> you can have the tv on in the background and you can be relaxed you know um but to get up in front of people that you don't know and present you know what you're really passionate about that was a real real curve for us um and since then we've done a couple of others so we've kind of got out of that nervous state and I think that's something that we're really 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 stoked about because we were really worried that we wouldn't be able to deliver in person as well as we deliver online um, mm -hmm. And to get that over that hurdle and that imposter syndrome was was amazing. So you know, hats off to Yolandi as well. She's 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 amazing. She stepped. We kind of sync. She steps in when I stop talking and vice versa. So without her being here, I'm kind of like lost. <laughs> like, where's my partner, Grime? <laughs> well, I don't know how you two could even doubt yourselves for a moment because you are incredibly articulate and you know confident and powerful. So. Don't let that voice get into your head again, okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Well, congratulations, because actually organising an event and making it happen and coming out the other side and saying that you're really proud of what you've done is a major coup. So congratulations to you. Thank you, Thank you so much. <laughs> and I just want to touch on one thing, um, because I, I have to be rude not to on my part. You put out a really powerful post quite recently about your son which was incredibly oh God, special yeah. um because he transitioned and uh it was just the most beautiful post and I loved how the love and the pride in him shone through um and I just wondered if you wanted to say anything about that yeah oh gosh that's been such a long journey um my son's actually 24 now so it's been a long time and you know it was a very very odd period of my life having to kind of navigate from having a gorgeous girl with long luscious hair and I was like oh yeah I've got a little girl <laughs> to having a really really quite strapping boy and it's kind of like I've got the best of both worlds actually I've had yeah. I've had my girls I've been able to do my hair and then he transitioned into being a male and I just think he's taught me more than I've taught him over the course of the journey and one of the things I think I'm most proud of I mean he went to an all-girls school so he didn't go into a mixed school until he was in sixth form. Wow. And as soon as he went into that mixed school, he said to me, do you know what, mum, I'm going to be head boy. I was like, okay, go for it. But I'm, in my head, I'm like parent trepidation going, oh gosh, what's going to come online and all of this stuff that you get. And his classmates were so supportive. He actually got voted in as being head boy. Oh, um, wow. And, yeah, so, you know, he's taught me a lot more about resilience and determination than I think anyone else has other than my mum he's very very confident in himself it's taken a long time to get there 
Um, but he is very confident in himself now. And I just, I just hope he just continues to go from strength to strength. He, he never wanted to be an advocate, actually, funnily enough, but he's kind of just slotted into that role. So mm. I'm, I'm really proud of him. Well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? <laughs> yeah, he's got a big job like his mum. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just brilliant. And um, yeah, I was really moved by it, but I was especially touched by by the pride and I'm, I'm really touched by what you've just shared with us now. So thank you for doing that. So that kind of brings us to the end of the short and sweet podcast. And I want to say <laughs> huge thanks to uh, Ria Bantun for being a fine high guest and for being the wonderful person that you are. Your passion and your confidence and all the work that you're doing is incredibly powerful. So just keep doing what you're doing. Um, and I also want to say thank you to our listeners for joining us. Please do go on to our winners, Wednesday Winners Forum on the Above and Beyond Education app that got launched today. I'm so excited um, to share your good news stories. Thanks, Priya. Thank you. Bye. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Please do go to our Wednesday Winners Forum on aboveandbeyond.education to share your good news stories. Let's reclaim our right to celebrate all the things going well in our schools and education communities. If you work in education and you'd like to take part in an episode of the Flying High podcast, simply contact me. I'd love to hear from you and I welcome diversity in voices. Thanks to all our Flying High guests and to our education community working together to make every school a great school.